0: This episode could be triggering for sensitive listeners and contains mature content. It may not be suitable to all listeners. In this episode, there is reference to the abuse of children, so please consider this before listening. Should you need any emotional assistance, please see the show notes for telephone numbers that you can call. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the official policy or position of the podcast. Any content provided by contributors such as the host, guests, bloggers, sponsors or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organisation, company, individual, anyone or anything. Shattering out. Five police officers and a retired soldier are gunned down. The surrounding village is in shock. How does one feel safe when even a police station is not off-limits to violence? And then, of all the places to follow leads to, it leads them straight to a church. This is Decoding Cults, and I'm your host Paul Z. You are listening to 7 Angel Ministries Part 2. Seven Angels. In the previous episode, we saw how angel ministries began and ended off where their leader had been killed. In this episode, we will look at the birth, rise, and ultimate fall of the Seven Angels ministry. Following the death of Sapiwo, the next natural successor of the church, would have been Dumiso Jali, as he was the senior elder, but the seven Mangmuba sons were not happy with this. My guess is this was due to the fact that there was tension between the two families and that they blamed him for their father's death. My other guess is that if you'd been told most of your life that you were an angel, you would also not want to fall under a mere mortal in a church. They decided to break away from the main group and formed their own congregation in Nyanga in the Ngorbo local municipality in the Eastern Cape under the new banner of Seven Angels Ministry. This is the area where their mother had come from and was also the place where their father had been banished to by the police while he was under investigation. Many of the members followed the brothers to Nyanga and assimilated into this new ministry. Their brothers declared that when their father had died, God had told them to begin their work. The brothers and their followers lived on a compound on the outskirts of town. The compound comprised of a large house, a second brick-and-mortar building with the words seven visitors only painted on a wall in red, a red container-like building with a door and a few shacks at the back. For those of you who are unaware of the term shack, it's basically a small dwelling which consists of corrugated iron walls and roof. It's usually a single or two-room dwelling that is built by hand and is largely occupied by people who have little to no income. These dwellings have no running water and no indoor plumbing, and in most cases whole families will live in a single of these dwellings. In South Africa, these types of dwellings will mostly be found in informal settlements. The shacks at the compound, however, were larger with rooms, windows and doors, but still housed many people in one space. Occupants of the compound lived a frugal life and ate communally. They depended on the leaders for all of the essentials. The men, women and children all lived in separate quarters in the shacks of the compound. Many of the younger generation had been born into the church when Sepiwo had still been alive. And this was the only life they'd ever known. The leaders on the other hand continued to live lavish lifestyles and even boasted luxury cars, the latest gadgets and some even had Facebook pages. Members of the church could be seen singing, dancing and sometimes chanting in unison on the property ground. The so-called seven angels kept some of their father's teachings including the proclamations of Satan being in the constitution and in the educational system, that females were second class, and also cutting off people that were not part of the church, and also the end-of-days proclamations. But they also put their own spin on the beliefs that they taught. At first, the brothers claimed that they had created their father and their mother to bring them to this earth. They claimed that they were not like Moses, as he was a human being and they were angels. The bodies that they were occupying were not their real being. They declared that they should be referred to by their heavenly names, as their given names were government names, and, as we know, they had proclaimed that the government, which follows the constitution, was breathed upon by the devil. Their angel names, a mixture of English and Kosa, were Comanda, meaning commander, Michael, after the archangel, Gabriel, also after the archangel, Bulungisa, which means justice, Mteteleli, which means savior, redeemer, or speaker on behalf of, Monwabisi, which means bringer of joy, and Gideon, who is also a biblical figure who was chosen by God to free his people. The ministry was divided into departments to accommodate each of the brothers. The followers also began to refer to them as, My Lord or My God. It's not clear if they were instructed to do so, but my guess is that they were. They also claimed that one of the reasons that they had been sent to earth was to flush out the devil, and that there was going to be a natural disaster unlike anyone had ever seen before they would also make future claims that their father had prophesied that the whole family would face hardships. During my research, I came across an article which explains how cults work. Within the article, it explained that the cult leaders get their members to stay and commit themselves to the movement and, in some cases, even take part in activities that may be harmful by using thought reform and coercive persuasion which involves the systematic breakdown of a person's sense of self. They get this right by isolating the members from the broader population and making them increasingly dependent on the leader and or the group. This way, they have absolute control over every aspect of the member's life and thus leaves them no time to form their own thoughts or analyse what they are being taught. With this in mind, we can see how members would readily accept any new indoctrination that the leaders would propose. And in the case of the seven angels, this would be their new names and also how the members need to refer to them. The leaders no longer used the Bible during their sermons. They claimed that it was created for human beings and not for angels. The brothers did, however, use passages from the Bible, but changed the meaning to suit their agenda. This is not uncommon in cults. They further claimed that the Holy Spirit communicated directly with them and gave them instructions on how to run the church. By doing this, they were able to further manipulate their followers into believing anything that they said. The brothers also preached that Jesus would come soon and that the only way that they would have their wishes fulfilled, live a life eternal and get closer to God was to resign from their jobs, give their lives to the church And wait with the brothers for Jesus to come. The church still brought in very young members from the village, persuading them to come and live at the compound and write off their families. In 1997, Loiso Tlambulo graduated with a BSc honours degree from the University of Natal. He became a teacher at Nomaka Mbeki High School and taught maths and science there for 18 years. His colleagues stated that he was a brilliant teacher who loved his job and loved working with kids. In 2015, Loiso was in a very serious car accident in which he had broken his leg and cracked some of his ribs. Over and above his physical injuries, he also suffered from a speech impediment where he would slur his words and his short-term memory was also affected. It was reported that following this accident, he was partially disabled, and one of his colleagues noted that he was not mentally the same. He found it difficult to stand for very long periods of time while he was teaching in a class, so the school graciously decided to assist him, by letting him teach life orientation instead, as this subject provided less strenuous hours on his feet. A fellow teacher at the school stated that he was, quote, no longer the Louis we knew, end quote. It was also at this time that his mother passed away. Despite the accommodations made for him at the school, Luiso decided that he no longer wanted to work there and resigned from his post. Shortly after his release from hospital, he had bought a brand new top-of-the-range Audi which he showed off to his fellow teachers. Upon his resignation, he informed his now ex-colleagues that he would be donating it to the church, which he then did. And then drove around in his mom's old VW Polo. He also moved out of his mother's house and went and lived on the compound. This promising young man's choice would later prove to be fatal. We can see here that cults prey on the vulnerable individuals. Many people who have gone through a tragedy often turn to religion for comfort. I do not know what they had promised Loiso, but an educated guess could be that they offered him a cure from his ailments or even that he would be able to see his mother again. This kind of promise could be very enticing for a person who is in a lot of physical and emotional pain. In an interview on the News 24 documentary, Angels of Death, Lucia Chaba stated that her family also started attending the church, back when Sepiwa was still head of the church. She stated that they were told by the church that children need to stop going to school, Her siblings left school and, in the end, she also had to stop attending school as no one bought her school uniforms anymore. After a time, she decided that this was not right and returned to school anyway. At one point, she asked her mother where the bank card was, to which her mother explained that it was being used by the church. Not happy with this, Lucia requested that her mother stop the card and get a new one. Her mother said she would... But instead of stopping the card, she just took out an additional card on the same account. Her mother was the breadwinner of the household and would get paid monthly at the end of the month. One month end, she asked her mom to go to town and go do some grocery shopping. Her mother stated that she needed permission from them, aka the church, to use her own money, as they claimed many people depended on it, and that the seven angels needed groceries first before she could provide for her family. When her mother was asked by relatives what the church was about, she told them that it was about seeking everlasting life, to sit in God's presence. Lucia was not convinced by this, stating, How are you going to sit in God's presence? I believe that they believe in those seven angels and not in God. Because if they truly believed in God, there is nothing that would cause them to separate themselves from their families. In 2015, Lucia's mother called her and announced that she was going to sell her house because she wanted to move to the compound permanently. She was, however, able to convince her mother not to sell the house, as it was also her home and she didn't have anywhere else to go. So her mother dropped off the keys and went to live on the compound. Monwabisi Ntulo and his wife quit their jobs in June of 2015. His wife had been a teacher at Mpasa school in Kintani. They sold everything and he even cashed out his retirement money, closed his bank accounts, bought a new car and gave all of this to the church. He stated that he did this because quote, I stay and eat here and you're supposed to eat where you live with your family, end quote. Victoria and Victoria husband had passed away. She attended the church in 2015 then promptly resigned from her job sold her house and used some of the money to buy personal things but the rest of the money she gave to the church stating quote, "i gave it to god" end quote. when asked why she would do something like that she simply answered that she wanted to be at the church both body and soul she was also one of the parents that had taken her son out of school and brought him to the church Those followers who gave up their lives to live at the compound were forbidden to work and were barred from communicating with the outside world, even with members of their own families who were not part of the church. Again, this is a form of complete control over them and makes it easier for the cult leader to indoctrinate these followers with their beliefs. At some point, the brothers started grooming teenagers and young girls to become their wives. They did have legal wives of their own, but decided to have additional girls to be in service to them for their sexual needs. Those girls who were chosen to be the wives of the brothers received special treatment and enjoyed an elevated status within the compound. They all lived together in separate quarters from the rest of the followers, but these quarters were cleaner, had better beds, and they had better clothes than the rest of the congregation. They were also apparently honoured when it was their turn to provide sexual satisfaction to the brothers. What we need to understand is that although polygamous marriages are not allowed under the Marriage Act and the Civil Unions Act in South Africa, we do have very diverse cultures within our country, and some of these do practice polygamy. Therefore, there are provisions under the recognition of Customary Marriages Act that allow for these marriages. Should a man who is already married wish to take on a second wife, they need only apply to a competent court for the marriage to be legal. Even our former president Jacob Zuma is a self-proclaimed polygamist and is legally married to four women. Furthermore, in South Africa, the legal age for a girl to be married is 15, but only with parental consent. Although, in the Customary Marriages Act, it allows minors to enter into customary marriages with parental consent but doesn't specify minimum age. A customary marriage in South Africa, by definition, is a union that is negotiated, celebrated and concluded in terms of indigenous African customary law. Usually, the man and representatives from his family go to negotiate labola, which is like a dowry payment, with the family of the woman that he wants to marry. Once an amount is settled on, The man will pay the Labola to his future wife's family and a celebration is held including song and dance, the slaughter of cattle for a celebration and an exchange of gifts. However, in the case of Seven Angel Ministry, I don't think it was any of their intention to be married to these young children in any way, shape or form, but merely to be able to have sex with them. By giving them better conditions and elevated status within the group. It's easy to see why the girls would want to become a wife. Most of these girls would have been born into the cult, and with not having any contact with the outside world, wouldn't know that this is wrong. We do know that sexual grooming in cults, specifically minors, although horrific, is not uncommon. In 2016, a huge sign was painted on a hill in Kalinganga. No one knew who had painted it. On the top left were eight man like figures. One was painted in red, and the four to the left and three to the right of the red figure were painted in white. Underneath this figure, three different phrases were painted in huge capital letters. The first of these was, quote, The end of 1260 days, it's a new beginning. End quote. The next one said, quote, Jehovah. God angel forces. And lastly, the words, Elizwi Lika Yehovah Limingona Pakere, seven angels, which translates to, The word of God stands the test of time. Further down the mountain, two big rocks were painted. One said, New heaven is coming down, only archangels can rule the world. And the other message translates to, The earth is God's and the fullness thereof. Reason with yourself that Satan, Rome, and all the church's persecution is not in ten years, but only in one thousand two hundred and sixty days. Grace two thousand nine hundred and forty. The Son of Man is your only hero. The local community was very distressed by this, and the village's leader was understandably upset, as it had been done without his permission. Upon some further investigation, They had found that the seven angels had commissioned the painting on the mountain and the village leader, along with some police officers, went to the compound to speak to the brothers. Nothing happened from this visit, but what we do know, the brothers had proclaimed that the 1260 days was regarding a prediction that their father had made shortly before his death. The prediction stated that 1260 days from the date of the prediction The congregants need to leave the church premises and preach across the country, spreading the word of their God. Just for interest's sake, that day would have been roughly in August 2018. The eight figures represented in red and white were God in red and then the brothers beside him in white. The rest of the painting tied into the end-of-day's prophecy that the brothers had preached tying into them being the only salvation for these followers. We can see here that they are carrying on with their father's example of separating their followers from mainstream culture and teachings and getting them to believe that only the brothers are the way for them to get an eternal life. From the moment that the church started up in Ngobo, people in the surrounding area were not happy with the goings-on at the church and reached out to their local government with their concerns. A teacher at one of the schools noted that she had seen a child selling fruit outside of the school during school hours, but knew that that child did not attend the school. With many complaints coming in of children being kept from school, an investigation ensued. In February 2016, after a few months of investigation, social workers and the police went to rescue the children from the compound. After two hours of unsuccessful negotiation with the church leaders, the police broke through the fence to gain entry onto the property. When the officers came to the gate, the brothers had apparently gotten word from the Holy Spirit that they should not open the gates. The brothers stated that this was what they had prophesied about, with the outside world coming to destroy them. Banele Mangoba, one of the younger of the seven brothers and spokesperson for the church, stated, As we are bound by the word of God and not by the constitution, the Holy Spirit said we must not open the gate. They forced their way through the fence opening. That incident was prophesied, that they will arrive and they will use force to enter. End quote. By telling the followers this, they basically reinforced their prophetic proclamations and kept their followers believing in them. During the raid, only eighteen children were saved from the compound and taken to a place of safety. These children were between the ages of 7 and 13, and as with the raid on their father's compound in KZN, it was found that some of these children were not from the Eastern Cape, but from all parts of the country, and some didn't have any birth certificates. One of the children that was taken from the compound was Baneli's own son. When asked how he felt about this, he stated, My son Tandile was taken, I am not stressed about that, and I will never visit him but I am sure he will come back home when the time is right. I will never say Tandile, go to school, end quote. His attitude towards education is further emphasised when he stated that when a child wants to go to school, they need to leave as school is evil. He further noted that there was no need for education as there was no future for anyone who wanted to start studying. He said, quote, Anyone who wants to study must go and learn to die. End quote. The brothers would later claim, like their father, that they would give children the opportunity to go to school at the beginning of each year. But given how they felt about it, none of the children ever chose to go. It was also estimated that around 200 adults were living at the compound at this time. Some of the parents whose children were rescued were taken to court by their children for not paying towards the education. On being questioned around this, Vanelli stated that he wasn't worried at all, and that those children would lose because the parents were under their wings. In March 2016, the Commission for the Promotion and Protection of Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Communities, or CRL Commission, called the brothers in front of a committee to explain their beliefs and the goings on at the church, specifically related to the fact that children were not going to school. All seven of the brothers came. But Benelli, as the spokesperson or spin doctor as some were calling him, did most of the talking during the hearing. At the beginning of the hearing, the brothers were asked if they would give an oath or a solid affirmation. They did not want to give an oath as they claimed that they couldn't make an oath as they had already made one to the throne. Then, while being sworn in with the affirmation, they refused to raise their right hands. This was definitely a sign of things to come during this inquiry. And trust me, I had quite a few are you effing kidding me moments while watching it. When asked about the history of the church, they stated that their father, Sepiwo Mangoba, was the founder of Angel Ministry. They went on to explain their origins as angels and how they had created their parents to bring them forth into the world. Banelli explained that Jehovah is the God of Southern Africa and that there was an angel that left heaven by the name of Lucifer, who they had come to seek on earth. Panelli further explained that the devil had breathed on the South African constitution and even on the schools. When their father had died, they claimed that God had given them instruction that their time had come. He further said that they healed people and said that the education is wrong because the devil had taken over the schools, being allowed to do so by Nelson Mandela. This would not be the only accusation that he flings at Nelson Mandela. They also said that he was forced to sacrifice his grandson during the 2010 World Cup so that there would be no disruptions. And they also said in 1994, before he was released from prison, he, Mandela, had sacrificed the whole world while sitting at a table with Satan in order for the whole world to know who he was when he died. One of the reasons that he cited, where it proves that the constitution is evil, is that it allows for same-sex marriages and witchcraft. He takes a step further, implying that all of the other churches are liars and are the quote, girlfriends to the government, and that they are the ones that have come to destroy the world. Here we can see another example of the us-versus-them reference often used by cult leaders, which, in my opinion... Is probably what they use to scare their followers into thinking that churches are evil and thus keeping them in the fold. He further stated that, quote, We are saying, as angel ministry, firstly, I am not a pastor. I am an angel from heaven sitting here at the right side of the Father. End quote. He then talks about the devil being in the constitution and the educational system again even going as far as saying that the constitution is where Satan's spirit dwells and is the principality of darkness. He then noted, quote, So, as angels, we are informing the whole world of the rot that the devil has done to the world. We are the last ones on earth, End quote. Before we go on with this, I would just like to point out that in the Bill of Rights, section 15, the Freedom of Religion, Belief and Opinion, Point 1 states that, quote, Everyone has the right to freedom of conscience, religion, thought, belief and opinion. End quote. Furthermore, in the Bill, in Section 31, under Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Communities, Point 1a states that, quote, Persons belonging to a cultural, religious or linguistic community may not be denied the right, with other members of that community, To enjoy their culture, practice their religion, and use their language. So they are basically free to believe anything they want. And it is this very section of the so called evil constitution that protects these angels and their beliefs. During his explanation of the ministry, we finally get some insight of the doomsday prophecy that they had alluded to. In his explanation, he speaks of plagues, water shortages, and multitudes of death that is coming. He even likens the country to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, For those who are unfamiliar with the tale, in a nutshell, these were two biblical cities that were full of all kinds of sin and were struck down by God. Many of the questions posed to the brothers were met with roughly the same explanation around the devil having taken over the constitution and the educational system. When asked if they believed in the laws of the country, They stated that they did not, because that is where, according to them, the devil resides, and later stated that they are above the constitution. One of the questions posed to them was if they were Christian, to which Banelli responded that he was not a Christian, but was, however, Jehovah. Following this, the panel stated that they thought that they were angels, to which Banelli replied, quote, it's the same thing, end quote. If you're shaking your head in disbelief at this point, let's take a step back. The seven brothers, and in fact the entire group, had been told for years that the sons were not people but angels. They had been raised learning this, and had not had much exposure to the outside world. So if you think about it, they could very well believe that this was indeed true. One thing I did notice during his testimony was that Benelli spoke with Kolodak, cocky smile. In my mind it could be one of two things. The first was that he truly believes what he is saying and cannot fathom why he would have to explain himself to these mere mortals. But to me it also seemed like he knew that he was talking shit and had to keep up the story to be able to keep his followers under his spell. Something tells me it's the latter and I'll explain why I think this. I came across an article in which it was found that Benelli was not only having an affair with a woman outside of the church, but that they had had a child together, and this child was in a private school, paid for by Benelli himself. To me it felt like they were going around in circles, answering each question posed to them with the same propaganda. And despite their best efforts, the CRL commission got nowhere. They did present their case in Parliament in 2017, giving a report on a few churches that they were concerned about and asking for better regulation around these institutions. They signalled this specific ministry as a red flag and stated that something needed to be done urgently, but nothing came from this, as no one wanted to obstruct on their freedom of religion. Following the inquiry... The brothers went back to their compound and carried on with their daily lives and their teachings. In mid-2016, a local investigative program called La Sechaba, which is suited for Eye of the Nation, visited the compound to speak to the brothers and interview a few of the congregants. Banele, as the spokesperson of the ministry, again did most of the talking. He reiterated the brothers status as angels and spoke of the constitution and the educational system being evil again. They also interviewed some followers who claimed that they were happy to have given up all of their worldly possessions to stay at the church. One young female member stated that she didn't even know what year her mother had joined the ministry but she had been born there and she'd never gone to school. The reporter noted that of the 200 people residing on the compound most of them were young people and it concerned her that they weren't attending school. Keep in mind that this was after the raid, so there were still more young people on the compound who had not been saved by the police and the social workers. The reporter inquired about the followers that had moved to the compound and had given their money and even their cars to the church, to which Barnelli replied, quote, If you want to stay here, it's your choice. I won't say when you give me a car I won't take it. I will take the car. It's not for me, it's for the church. Anyone can drive that car. Also, I have an account, but you must bring cash. End quote. When the reporter asked if they belonged to a cult, Banelli had this to say, quote, No, it is not a cult. It's an ordinary church, but with different rules. We did not cut ties with anyone's family. People have decided on their own. Once there is different religion between families, there is always tension. End quote. This last sentence stood out to me. In my research around cults, one of the practices that many leaders implement is self-policing. They either get followers so caught up in the rules that they are afraid that if they step out of line, they will be in for internal damnation, or they create a culture of mistrust, where, should one member do something that is against the rules, the others will tell on them, and they will be shunned or punished for breaking the rules. Furthermore, cult leaders instill a fear of the outside, making them the enemy, so when they speak of choice, they mean that the follower has been so indoctrinated about the outside world's evil that they choose to cut ties with their family. But it's not a freely made choice. Even though there was enough space within the church to accommodate all of the brothers, the eldest, Tandazile, was unhappy with the arrangement he insisted that as he was the eldest, he should be the leader. Frictions started to develop between the brothers, and they eventually decided to break into two separate factions. But their mother still ran the main ministry. As the congregants were encouraged not to work, soon there was no real income coming into the ministry, and with A. having so many people to look after and B. living large lifestyles themselves, The seven angels started running out of funds. Rumours were going around the village that the break-ins that had started happening could mostly be attributed to the members of the ministry. There are many different versions of the following story, but ultimately it comes down to this. Tandazile and a few members of his faction planned to bomb an ATM, but in order to do this they also needed to create a distraction. The group creating the distraction started at around midnight on 21 February 2018 by ambushing and shooting two police officers on patrol near Nyanga High School. They just left them there on the side of the road and took their police vehicle. They then proceeded to the police station several kilometres down the road. At the station, they shot and killed two police officers in the charge office, and then gunned down another officer in his van as he was returning back from patrol. They also shot a passerby, who had later turned out to be a retired soldier. Three female officers, who were also at the station, were ordered to open the gun safe and then go and wait outside. These officers were then also locked into one of the police vans. By the end of the assault, five police officers and a civilian had been killed, and two police officers had been injured. During this time, the other group focused on robbing the ATMs and bombed them and got away with the money. The assault left many families devastated. The investigation started immediately and arrests were made fairly quickly. One of the arrested suspects then pointed the investigating officers to the compound where the rest of the group was hiding. On the evening of 23 February 2018, Police arrived at the compound in order to search for the stolen weapons. Some of the members of the church immediately started shooting at the officers. A full shootout ensued, where seven church members were killed, three of the angels, Tandazile, Zolisa and Pelile, along with four other of their followers, one of which was the ex-school teacher Luiso Nglabulo. He died in, quote, A hail of bullets. In the aftermath, the stolen goods were found on the compound. They also found girls as young as 12 years old living in the wives' quarters. Some of the younger girls had small children of their own. As the followers were taken off of the compound, the surrounding villagers came to cheer at the gates. They were happy that they were finally seeing an end to the church. Many of the followers did not want to leave as they still strongly believed in the brothers and some had nowhere else to go. The buildings on the compound have since been torn down and most of the remaining brothers and other suspects have been arrested and ordered to go to court. But at this time, we do not know what transpired from this. And so, the seven angels ministries came to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button on the app that you are listening to and please rate and review as this will help improving our show. You can also find us on Facebook and you can email us at decodingcults at gmail.com. The amazing logo art was created by the tattoo artist Jacques Jacobs. Thank you so much for listening.